direction you know, you look at it. Pull it back immediately here. Uh, I thought it'd be good to start with the first words of the Super Bridge, which would be Cream, and their song Sprain Through, obviously from by Jeff Bruce, the famous um, bass player slash singer, Rush, Ginger Baker, and obviously <laughs> the amazing Eric Clapton, and his song Strange Brew, and I picked it because, well, I really wanted to drink wine for Korea Rock today, and I wanted to drink the wine specifically called Layak, and their wine in Rouge, which is, uh, I don't know why I said that with a bad French accent, but which means bewitched, and uh, that is reminds me of strange things. That's why I said that. That's fair. I mean, I, you know, there were more songs on the debut album, but there's time. It's not the last podcast. There's still time. What's up, everyone? It is Bottom of the Bottle. I am Adam. That is Manny. I think that music. That's why Manny is the expert, as you guys all know. Now this works. We pick a couple wines. We drink from the bottom of the bottle, and we talk about either the area, the great topic that we're doing from time to day. Manny did want to do pre rod but he made the mistake of introducing me to this wine, the boss from Monsant last week, which is freaking awesome. So I went off script and got the Monsant instead. So that's what I'm doing. How oh, dare you? I, I know, but Monsant's close to pre rod so I, I didn't like grab, you know, quite the or was or sparkling rosé, which is what you typically tend to do. Yes. Thank you for not doing that. Um, well, I did. It's just not. <laughs> so. Yeah. So this is a new wine for for um, the United States, actually, not just mm-hmm. us in New England. Um, this is from uh, Vinus Dominic, which is a, a small winery in um, Catalonia, in uh, located right around Montsant, um, and. My first experience with this wine was really like two or three weeks ago, and I was like, holy crap, this is a really good bottle of wine. Why Grenache to me, so this, this wine is 85% Grenache, or Grenache, because we're, we're Spain, right? It, it, it is Garnacha, it's not Grenache, it is a Spanish grape, so. Thank you for realizing that. You know, I, I am a Francophile, but it, it's not theirs. This is this is Spain's great. So. Thank you for not calling it Canal, which is what the <laughs> heathens say in Sardinia. <laughs> it's fantastic. It it is a grape that I feel ter- it exhibits terroir in dramatic fashion. It's not quite Chardonnay, uh, depending on where you're at, whether they're, they're that different, but. Grenache, Grenache is the primary grape, and you know, Chateauneuf and the Royal Varietals live in these just massive, huge wines. Uh, and well, this has some weight. There is some real elegance to this wine. There's some minerality in this wine. Um, there's some. There's a there's a fifty percent Samso in here, so that might be enough too. But there's a there's a structure to this wine, um, tannic wise too. They don't necessarily attribute to Grenache or Grenache. Yeah. Um, you know, it being softer and more softer being a relative term and a little more fruit forward than some of its other um, some of the other reds that we typically drink you know in, in, in these areas but this has got some this has structure this has weight that's still elegant this is this, this one's really good 
Yeah, and what I think is really cool about about Grenache or Garnacha is that I love that you mentioned Chardonnay. It's not quite Chardonnay. Chardonnay is like liquid tofu. No matter where you grow it, it's going to pick up the, how you age it. If you're using malolactic fermentation, if you're, you're changing the, mal the lactic acids, the malic acids where you get that buttery quality. If you're getting more uh, oak influence or what kind of soils. And Grenache really carries that, but we don't always talk about that because we think of, for me, I always go to Pinot Noir Chardonnay with Burgundy, but I don't think there's a red grape that captures the essence of the soil than Grenache. And, you know, when we look at wines like Chef de the Pop, we were tasting a, a Vincent earlier from the Rhone, you know, stylistically, the Grenache is very different there because of the soils. And the soils here are between, you know, Montsant is not poor man's priorat. So we are in Catalonia. Uh, we are in the foothills of the, what's called the Catalan range, um, very high altitude for both areas. And we're not talking limestone or clay like we normally talk about, especially with, with Grenache and uh, the Southern Rhone. We're talking schist. And it's a specific type of schist. You really see it in priorat, but you do see it Montsant called Icaria, which is this like, it's a blue slate that's flaked with a little bit of clay. It almost looks like tiger prints of black background with the orange stripe. So it's kind of a reverse tiger, not like a reverse cowgirl, but reverse tiger. And so, hey, we're already there. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, so, you know, that clay helps capture some of the the moisture, but the vines have to really struggle. And I mean, this wine is super tannic. It's really rich. Um, it's honestly, like I said, the first time I tried this a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, it's become one of my favorite favorite wines. It, it, it's gorgeous. This area in general, are we talking, you said struggle there. So are we, are we struggling because of hot and dry? Are we struggling because the soils are shitty? Like, what what, what is it about Priorat, Catalonia, this area of Montsant that makes it, you know, the, the vines struggle more so in some places? Um, so it's, it's kind of both in, in terms of the, the general climate. So one thing that people don't realize with the Mediterranean, and I think I said this when we, with the last podcast with, with Jason McCool at Super Hornet, which, by the way, try the pepperoni hot honey is amazing. Ridiculous. But, you know, when we think of the Mediterranean, we always think of this warm climate. And it's warm because we're closer to the, to the, um, uh, what do you call it? The equator. The equator, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. We're, thank you. <laughs> Words are hard. As you always say. Uh, we're closer to North Africa. But if you look at a thermal map of the Mediterranean water, it's cool with the exception of this one band that goes to like Algeria and through like Egypt, but for the most part, most of the Mediterranean surrounding like Sardinia, surrounding um, Sicily, southern Spain, you have this cooling effect. And like, for example, in Spain, not so much here, but when you get to closer to the interior of Spain and an area called the Levante, which is like where you find Valencia and the central coast. The warmest parts are not by the Mediterranean. It's when you go inland towards La Mancha, where it's like 
uh, in La Mancha they say it's nine months of winter, three months of inferno, um, because the <laughs> summers are just ridiculously hot. Here it's a little more temperate, but you do have a big shift between day and nighttime temperatures, so our daytime temperatures can be very warm. In fact, I was there, uh, geez, uh, my last, when I was in Catalonia last was 16 years ago, so it was 15 years ago, it was a while ago, but it was right around this time of year. We, like, we're recording this at the end of March, um, we were there mid-April 2006, and it was like a New England spring day where it gets a little warm, but then you get, you're in the shade, it gets cool. So there is a, a beautiful influx of temperature in this area um, that I don't think any other, any other part of Spain that, that either I've been to or that I've had, you know, really carries, you know, and, and I think that, that builds a, a powerful structure in the wine, but also an elegance that this wine has for days. Priorat, although it is, I think Priorat is not yet the love that it should get. You know, when we're, when we're talking Italy, everyone knows, everyone knows Tuscany, everyone knows the Tuscans, Chianti, Brunello, everyone knows Barolo. Uh, and then you can list another smattering of grapes in other places, right? If, if, even if you're not wine savvy, you'll recognize some things. We're talking France, obviously. We talk about France all the time. Bordeaux, yeah. Burgundy, do this. Spain, for all the wine that it produces, that produces a lot of wine. Priorat, to them, at least as far as rankings go, is right up there with Rioja, if not more mm -hmm. important in, in, in their eyes. I mean, I, I don't know that, but, it, but it, those are the two spots. Yeah. And I think the, the average wine consumer definitely knows Rioja, but they might not know Priorat. And in Spain, Priorat's just important. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think there are a couple reasons to that, and to that point. So, in Spain, you have what's the DO? It's kind of the same idea as the AOC or the DOC in Italy. It has what's they also call DOCA, DOCA or DOQA, because in uh, which basically it's Dominazione Origin uh, Controle um, Qualificada. Dominazione Origin uh, Qualificada. It's a qualified origin designation. Uh, there's only two in Spain. This is kind of the highest tier. Rioja has one, and then Priorat. And Priorat, it's D-O-Q, because Qualificada in, in Catalan is Q, not C. Um, no other region in Spain has this. I think there's been talk about Ribera kind of getting this. Um, but it's more of historical importance and of quality of wines. And you know, Rioja is, is an important region. It's, it's really one of the regions that got me into wine. Um, I love old school rustic Riojas and some of the modern stuff like Fickle Imperatrice, which is definitely much more of a polished style or really beautiful wines. Um, and historically, Rioja was really important because it was a crossroads, you know, like through the, you know, Santiago or the northern Spains or northern Iberia at that point before it became Spain. So if you can control Rioja, you control this area. If you can control Barcelona and Priorat, you control these massive ports. And so it was historically a really important region. Um, in terms of winemaking though, it's, it's you can find an $8 Rioja that's good 
maybe it's it's not going to rock your world, but it's just a good, enjoyable line. You cannot find that in Prayer Rock because the elevation is so high, and, and even in Monsan, for that matter, the elevation is so high, production is much smaller than what you get in, in Rio Pop because the vineyards are steeply terraced, and everything has to be done by hand. You can't use machines here. This happens actually throughout Spain, in parts of Italy. In the Mosul, it happens. You would think, you know, German efficiency, they're really smart. Every year, some idiot thinks, I'm going to harvest this vineyard with a tractor. And every year, the tractor flips over. And every year, two or three growers die. It, it really happens. Um, I mean, humans, words are hard. Humans have harder skulls. And we just are not that smart species. Other animals would not do that. But we're like, oh, no, ingenuity, we can do it. No, you can't. So it has to be done by hand. And that makes it not just challenging to vinify and, and grow and tend to the fields, but also to pick the grapes. It's, it's really difficult to do. So comparatively, to me, this, if I can kind of get down what you're saying, to make a comparison back to France, there's no Bordeaux Superior version of Rioux. There's no Pen de Twelve that helps it get the recognition. Because without, I mean, Bordeaux is the second largest wine producer, not the largest wine producer yeah. in, in yes. France. And, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's Rhone. I think mean, I mean, if it's Rhone or Bordeaux, whoever makes Rhone, that, that's not a hero we're going to talk about. Today. Um, <laughs> but without those the, those introductory wines to get you into Bordeaux. Don't drink more expensive Bordeaux, otherwise, no one has any idea what it tastes like, right? Yeah. Um, so, it, to me, it's kind of the same. I would draw the comparison there. It, it, la it lacks that. Here's my $15 baby pre rock and so on. Yeah. And, and I like that you, you said Monsanto is not a poor man's pre because they, terroir, they are different, right? I mean, it, it's the, you might like one if you like the other, sure, but they're, they're, they're different enough where. They shouldn't be, you know, bucketed that way. Yeah, they, 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 they deserve, I think, their own identity. But it's it's easy. It's, you know, it's the same when we talk. I mean, this is different than Argentina and Chile. But you, when you look at a wine list, it's you clump it by kind of region and regionality. So South America. But the, and we were in this ad nauseum, I think, at, at points. But, like, you know, Chile and Argentina are not the same. But we put them together. Um, Pre-Rot and Monsant are, like, Pre-Rot and Rioja are not the same. Pre-Rot and Monsant are their own thing, but there's a closer connection, not just geographically, but I mean in terms of varietals. So you see more Grenache here. So you see Samso, which is um, a little debate. It, so it's it's technically Carignan or Carignania. But I've had, I've, I've read some sources that say that it is that sometimes it's actually some so, which okay. if you think some so some so makes sense uh, sure. in terms of etymology, but you know historically what I've always heard is, is that it is it is carignan, and in this case it's carignan. Um, but I think some producers tweak that a little bit. You know, that's the great thing about the old world; they they do DNA structure and all this stuff. But again, whatever, or even the new world, like whatever, no one's gonna no one's gonna check. <laughs> no, no one cares that much. Um, but I mean, I think what's really unique about, I think both of these wines, we're, we're drinking the, the months up now, um, 
is the identity that, that it, it definitely feels like a Spanish wine to me, but there is a polish these wines have that the rest of Spain doesn't have. And I think to really kind of understand that, and, and when, I mean, I have an emotional connection to the wines of Catalonia because my mother's family came from a town called Gueda, which is right in the frontier of, of Catalonia and the next kingdom of Aragon, um, which I got to go to my last time when I was in, in Catalonia, which was amazing. It's like a walled-in fortress city. And it was really cool. It's like, oh my God, my mother never went there. My grandmother never went there, but like that's where ancestors came from. But there is this, I think, very romantic connection and romantic meaning, not like love, but um, struggle connection between Spain and France. Because when I do, when I present wines from Catalonia or I do seminars on Catalonian wines, people always ask about the different language, the Catalan language, um, or they want to make their own country or they don't want to be part of Spain. But there's a long history to that. And I think it really goes to how the Iberian Peninsula was formed because there were these two plates, the Iberian plate and the Eurasian plate. And when they came and they connected over the course of millions of years, the um, Iberian plate started going under the Eurasian plate, which created the Pyrenees and it created what's called a downward. And so you had all of Iberia filling up with water um, in what they now call the Ebro Basin. And then, you know, a couple million, million years later, you had the Catalan Range that was created through cataclysmic events. You had these mountains that were formed and it created an inland sea. And that created the soil structures within not just Catalonia, but Rioja, Navarra as well. You get a lot of limestone. Limestone is always, you know, if you have limestone soils, you're guaranteed it's aquatic soil at some point. Um, or like decomposed shell, uh, coral, things like that. And you know, that was, you know, millions upon millions of years ago. How does that relate to the lines today? Well, um, over the course of time, not far from these vineyards in Philosophos, uh, Monsan, the mountains started caving in a little bit, and then you had that inland sea kind of flowing up into the Mediterranean, created and a river called the Ebro River, which is, I would say, the most important river in, it's not the most Iberian, it's not the most important Iberian river, I think that's a Duro, because that is you know, the Duero in Spain turns into Duro in Portugal, which is where we import. But the Ebro River is the most important within landlocked Spain or within the, the country of Spain. Um, creates some of the microclimates here. But that that I'm kind of drawn off topic, which I often do, but that connection between the Iberian plate and the Eurasian plate created the Pyrenees Mountains and created Catalonia. And Catalonia for me is always not just structurally in terms of the wines or in terms of geography, but also culturally is kind of pulled in between Spain and the south of France, like the Roussillon area of France. And I think you see that within the winemaking, you see it within the culture of the people, uh, which I think is interesting and, and I think makes more, don't get me wrong, I love wines from Rioja, I love wines from Rivera. My favorite producers are the producers of Rioja, but there's something so enchanting, uh, so bewitching, if I can uh, throw in a You could have done it without making the connection. It would have been like, but you had to like pat yourself on the back. I did, yeah. <laughs> There we go. There um, you go. No, but there's, there's something so enchanting about the ones in Catalonia. It's a, that beautiful mix between like old, 
hold of you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned mercy on that because for like we're not mercy on it. It's not. There are, yes, there are exceptions in place in the world, but we're in many ways we're sharing grape varieties too. Mm-hmm. So in lots of different ways, this this area does have more like mercy on has more in common with with Pinot than it does the rest of France in, in lots of ways because they're because they're closer similar grape varietals. I mean the it just it, it's we like to think of these things as as easy buckets, right? This is French wine. The border stops here. And when you hop over to Spain, well, now what Spanish wine is. And yes, that's not untrue. But there is there is a similarity there between those two regions. Yeah. You don't necessarily get between Roussillon and, say, Bordeaux. Yeah. Which, I mean, you can you can look at, like, a, like um, Scoutier makes some wines in, in, in the Roussillon area. And structurally, there is a connection between, like, this kind of rich power on the palate, but still there's this elegant kind of component. And they share, like, some of the names of the region, so there, there's, um, they have some IGPs, which are the same idea as IGT in Italy, which is basically a, a general, generalized geographic region that's called Catalan in, in Universion area. So there is, and many people speak Catalan. And that's how the grapes got here, you know, like, so kind of one of the backstories is in the 14th or 13th century, um, the, no, like early in that, 12th, 11th century, the Duke of Barcelona married into the Kingdom of Aragon, and they were separate kingdoms, the Catalan Kingdom and Aragon, and they became one super kingdom that took over parts of south of Spain, like Valencia, they went into the um, Roussillon region of France. They took over Sardinia, Sicily, Tuscany, and one of the grapes, the most prominent grape you find in the region is Grenache or Grenache. So in, in Sardinia, I made the joke earlier about Cananao, it's called Cananao. There's a hybrid grape called Alicante Boucher in Tuscany that's based on Grenache. So they all, they brought the grape with them wherever they went, and eventually they mutated the and they developed, ultimately, which I think is kind of cool, their own personality. So, like, this style of Grenache, although we're based on Grenache, is not, like, Chef and Fapak. Yeah. You know, they're, they're their own, you know, I didn't want to go down, like, the, the clonal rabbit hole, but, like, when we as humans go from one place to the other, we evolve, and, and our skin tone changes, and our hair changes based on the climate, and the climate here is very different than in Chefanov. So the Grenache that's been here for centuries has a different, I think, charisma, not better or worse, than, than what you would find in the Southern Rome. So the, did you mention the clone thing and what you did? I worked with a winemaker from California of all places uh, about, at this point, five years ago. We walked into this account and I said, hey, before we go in, I, want, I just want to give you a FYI, this guy we're going to talk to likes to test people to see how much they know and even though that you're a winemaker and your name's on the bottle actually and you know everything about you know your wine and so on he's gonna he's gonna throw something stupid at you just to just to see if you can answer it I just want to prepare you I don't want you to feel insulted and he's like no bring it on let's do this so we go in and 
first couple of lines, he's, he's, the buyer's behaving. And then he's like, oh, yeah, so, um, so you're, it was his infidel we were talking about, working for an ashram. So, you know, what what what's the clothes are you using in here? Like one, as if the buyer's going to know the differences, the, the nuances of, of Zinfandel, you know, clothing in, in California, right? But the or gentleman the, I was with. Or the customer walking in buying a bottle of Zinfandel. 100%. The, the gentleman I was with wrote his thesis on clothes. So just like, I could see his face light away, I'm ready for this. Goes into this amazing half hour answer to why they use specific clothes for, for this particular wine. And then at the very end, he said, my favorite thing that I've ever heard uh, someone say, because this was his degree and he makes the wine, right? He goes, the end goes, you know, to be quite honest, um, once you take a clone and plant it in the ground, after about year 10, it's not the clone anymore. It's adapted to whatever it is. Because yeah, that's, that's what, that, that's, that's terroir. So we can clone all we want, but no matter what, where we move it, so like the, the for Pinot Noir, the Pomade clone is one of the, you know, heavily used. If you're not planting it in Pomade, <laughs> it's not going to be the Pomade clone forever. It's going to be, a, you know, something else because it evolves, it adapts, and so on. You know, and why, again, going back to it, uh, I think Garnacha is one of those that just adapts to its environment and changes more dramatically. And it, you know, you said Pinot. Pinot does too, but it does so in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you can plant Pinot in some of these, it'll change if you plant Pinot in a really hot climate. It's going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, that's why shot is so dynamic. It works in a variety of climates. And that's what I think is cool about Garnacha. It works in a variety of places. You can make good wine in a bunch of different places. You're, you're right. And once again, second time in a row, I learned something. And therefore, this podcast will be deleted. Oh, I forgot to press record. Oh, there's a pizza oven in the background. Someone's coming in with their kid to order something. Oh, doesn't have no but that, that's absolutely true um it is interesting though like i was at a winery uh in sonoma many years ago and uh, we were tasting with the woman who was running the tasting but her husband like she was an amateur winemaker she wasn't she was studying or she was studying to be a winemaker i don't know what she was doing she was um and her husband was, and her husband was making wine in argentina and um she started pulling out all these pinots of different clonal selections. She's like, oh, and this is a work trip. So this is a, well, hold on. Work trips usually for for Adam and I are like, you go to the tasting room, at least for our company, it's very serious. You don't mess around, you don't get drunk, you don't make rude comments. Of course, the other people from other distributors and other wholesalers from places around the country, different story. It's like they're they are just uh, girls gone wild kind of thing on leash, but we're like no no we're we're prim and proper and we're pretty we're prim and proper. But um, so I was you know it was a restaurant and we were going to these wineries and I was the AGM and he was running the beverage program and like I'm in charge here and I came with the bar manager with one of the with and two of the servers and they were all awesome guys and they all have really good palates but we were at. We were tasting Chardonnay, and one of the guys goes tasting it, 
and I kind of part, partly my fault. I trained him on that California Chardonnay isn't always great because it's short, it needs to be where that, that comes from. And, and um, he smelt the wine. First thing he says as the, the woman was tasting was going away, he goes, not good. And I was so mad. I was like, like what the hell? Like we are on, like you don't realize it, but we are on stage because this is a, uh, uh, someone sent us here and they all talked. Um, but then we tasted the wine. He's like, actually, and even who told her, he's like, I'm really sorry. I think I whispered that this wasn't really good at first, but this is amazing. But then after a certain point, she's like, oh, let's try different clonal selections of Pinot. And, and there was a certain point when I could taste the Dijon clone because it smelled like Dijon mustard. Oh, okay. It was really unique, or maybe it was just that's cool. Maybe I just pulled it out. I don't know. Or I got lucky, but but it is true though. Like when you start moving it from place to place, like they do, they adapt because they have to. Like Tempranillo, for example, when it went when it made its way to La Mancha, which is a real hot, dry during the growing season, always hot, dry, arid climate, it had to grow a super thick skin. It produces a wine that's more fruit forward because it, there's a ton of sunshine there. Um, but the wines are heavily tannic and they're really dark and oofy. Very different than Ribera or Rioja, which to me are much more specific and can be really elegant. But the skins had to develop this kind of thick outer layer, otherwise they would die, like they didn't yeah. survive. You know, and we can tie that back to our Phylloxera podcast, you know, oh so long ago that the European vines died because they were all right next to each other. The American vines are resistant to Phylloxera because they're far enough apart that maybe you lose, you know, a vine here, vine here, 50 feet away, there's another vine that dies, but the one that's 100 feet away eventually learns how to become immune. Its body learns to become immune, so it survives. But clones are the same thing. You just stick it right here, it's going to adapt to where it came from. It's also the nature of the grapevine. So we've talked about this before with different apples, too. If you take you're having a, if you take a, a, a Pinot Noir grape and you go plant it in the ground and there's a seed in it and it comes up, you're not getting an exact replica of the vine that came from it. It, it, it changes, yeah. which is how we get all these different, you know, grape varieties that we have is every time you replant that seed, it changes. Which is why my children are not as handsome as I am. <laughs> Actually, more so. It's a good thing they don't. Or, or why? Lives. Or why they're better than? Or why they're better than I? There you go. I'll leave that part in. Now they can this part in. Yeah. Now they can. But it's the same thing with with, with apples, right? If you plant a, a red delicious apple someplace, you're not going to get a red delicious apple tree. You're going to get crab apples. Yeah. Which is why we plant cuttings. But it's a, the vine's nature is to the, is to adapt and change depending on where it is. Even when you plant a cutting to get the exact same new vine. Cookie cutter wine is, and I don't say that negatively, and what it's just uniform. So it's the same thing every time you try it. It's important. It, it is because not everyone is like Manny and I, who when we try a new vintage of something and it's different, get pumped about it. Yeah, <laughs> like not I mean, everyone wants that. We were tasting some some wines earlier, kind of for consideration for us to, to sell, and you know, there, you had mentioned we were tasting a wine from the southwest of France. 
you're like, I really want to like this one. And like when I first saw it, I was like, okay, awesome. And I was really quiet at first when we were tasting it because I didn't like it. But I didn't want, I knew that, that, that you and maybe, you know, Britain or a couple other people would like really want to be into the wine. So I'll keep my mouth shut. Because I don't want to say no, I don't like this <laughs> right away. And skewing ones, but like I really, and you said that eventually you're like, I really want to like that wine. Yeah. You know, and it just wasn't quite there. But, um, and it could just be the it could just be the vintage. It might exactly. have been beautiful vintage before, yeah. just or the, the or the random bottle we got too. Yeah. You know, which is the crazy thing about wine. Like it just every single bottle we you have should be slightly different. Which maybe as a consumer is is a hard thing, and that's why mass produced wines and big um, brand wines. I think are important because they get people into wine because I know I don't really drink wine but I really like this it's enjoyable and I can set my watch to um, there is a place for that but then there's a time to kind of stretch out of that and try something else I forgot which episode we were talking about this but it's like you know when I think it was in Beaujolais or um, you know when you go to France and you go to or you go to Italy or you go to England for that matter you know, why just jump to, or somewhere in South America, why just jump to, I know McDonald's, so I'm going to go there. Like, try something yeah. different. Walk down that random street and find something beautiful. And the same with wine. Like, there, I, listen, I have purchased and I still purchase many bottles of wine all the time. And there are times when I buy a bottle of wine and I'm like, this is not what I was thinking. That's okay, you know. You gotta have that mindset, though. Yeah. Because that, and that's why that, you know, that cookie cutter, that mass produced, that McDonald's wine for all intents and purposes, is important. Because if you don't, if that's not part of what makes the experience special for you, which is okay, uh, then you want something that where the consistency is is there. Sure. Uh, Maybe you're like working a job you know, where every day is different, and you know, and you have a, a crappy day at work. And I just gotta count on this. Yeah. Because I've had it happen where like I'm looking forward to this bottle of wine that I've been holding on to and I open it and I'm like, hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'll let it sit for a little bit and see what happens when we open up maybe I'll open up the inexpensive wine that I know is gonna be good. <laughs> you know, well the in two, you know, counting on it and also there's There's something we we all like what we like, right? And this we, we talk about this palate and taste. And I mean, Manny and I have sat with these people, and I'm gonna play it. You know, uh, do a. I don't want to knock songs, but we only have what 30 people who listen to the podcast, and those songs probably yeah. listen to us. But sometimes this is not all of them because Manny's, Manny's got a song career, I think, or uh, you know, a certified song at some level. But sometimes you're sitting with these guys, and it's like, what do you get? Again, we get. I'm getting cherry. I'm getting cherry. I'm getting cherry. I'm getting a bean cherry. You're getting a maraschino cherry. You're getting a maraschino cherry that's still sitting in syrup. You're getting just a regular maraschino cherry. Is it the smell of the maraschino cherry, or is it the smell you get when you bite in the maraschino cherry? Wait, you're getting raspberry. Well, mine is it like a syrupy raspberry? And then by the end, you keep going. Oh, wait, you're not getting a berry at all. What are you getting? 
you're getting you're getting flint in this. You're getting really okay. What kind of flint? Is it like is it flint that you know like that has just been getting scratched? Or is it, is, it, is, it, is it flint that has just kind of like embered out? Like, what, 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 you're getting fire, okay, you're getting firewood. Firewood that's on fire, or firewood that, you know, is it ash? You, you go, you, you go through this whole thing. It's the 2020 vintage of Oregon. And like, it, but they, they go back and forth, and who can get the most specific possible flavor out of the wine? And if you're into that, it's cool. But in that entire discussion, what is lost while you're trying to figure out what it tastes like is? Do you like the wine? Do you like the wine? <laughs> and that's really important. Like, it can be like, oh, because like, after all that, they'll be like, they'll go on for 15 minutes and go, yeah, but yeah, that's not really that good. And well, why did you waste 15 minutes trying it out? It drives me nuts. It drives me, no, like, it, it's like, I, I get it, but if it's not good, who cares? So, um, and look, someone spent spent a lot of time putting that wine in that bottle, and I don't want to knock them either because because that wine that those three guys didn't like will also be good to somebody else too. So like it, it, it's it is it's all subjective. It, it's 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 what you want. We try to make it objective because of our own hubris. You know, I can know what wine is, and yes, you have those people that have those master master songs and masters of wine who can identify vintage and grape variety and place and all that stuff. And that's really special. But there's a reason there's only a couple hundred of those yeah. people walking around, and even them, they get fooled too sometimes. Oh, they're, yeah. not, they're not perfect. Either. No, no, and, so, and you have to also you have to to be able to do that and to take a wine blind. You have to work yourself up to. So there's a point when I was doing that a lot, and I haven't done it in, in years. You have to like keep your palate fresh. It's not like well, I can bench press 500 pounds and I'm not going to, and I'm going to sit around and eat Twinkies all day for the next five years and I'm going to assume I can do the same thing. You can't do it. You know, I can't fit on my wedding clothes anymore because, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. So, like, and you like just, wine and food. I like wine and food more so than ever, you know? And, and so, um, but, you know, you know, there was a story of, of uh, one master song who I know that someone was trying to do, they were trying to like trick them. And so they were in Burgundy and they pulled a bottle of this, uh, it was Cote or Hermitage, but it was from like the late seventies. In that point, the Syrah, which are, are the main, this, you know, the main varietal of these, these wines, for the reds anyways, um, is gonna be really light, it's gonna lose its color, it's gonna lose its dexterity, it's gonna lose its, its structure and it's gonna become really light and kind of orangish in the glass. And they're like, what do you, what do you think this is? And the song was like, uh, they were in Burgundy. He's like, I don't really know where. You know, Jefferson Raton. And the guy was like, ah, ah, you know, Syrah, ah, ah, ah. I'm like, like what, a, what, a, what a jerk thing to do. Like, yeah. even when you go through the blind tastings with the Quartermaster songs, they're not going to pull something that's not varietally um, accurate. So they're not going to take that hedonistic red blend that masquerades as Pinot Noir that got you into wine That's right. and say, is this Pinot Noir? I love that word. They're not going to do that, right? They're not going to... Um, Tandem Pelican 2005. It's sometimes that's all it takes. Greg Lafollette. He's a brilliant winemaker. I love Greg Lafollette, but that wine is not Pinot Noir. 
Fetzer White's Infidel, 1992. But, <laughs> but, um, you know, they're, they're not, they're not trying to really kind of trick you at all. You know, and the idea, and what I like about blind tastings is that it, it does force you to be objective. Because um, we were tasting for today, I mentioned, you know, a moment ago, like, tasting the wine from the southwest of France, we're like, okay, we want to like this wine. And sometimes we just do. Like I did uh, staff training at a restaurant. This was about a, a year or two years ago, actually. And uh, we had this super expensive wine from Burgundy. And Burgundy for high-end wines are not like a $50, $60 Napa cap, which is like fruit forward and rich. And like it's easy to understand why people like those wines uh, because they're very impactful right up on the go. But this wine was delicate, it was nuanced, it was still well-structured and still powerful, but, but in, a, in a gymnast way rather than a truck driver way. Sure. You know, like, it was just lean and muscular and, and nimble, and which is, I know, a stupid description, but it was a nimble wine. And right next to the Latosh Grand Cru, what those wines are, $5,000 a bottle versus a couple hundred bucks, and it was delivered from here to the end of this room. but. Staff, like one of the waiters, was like, "This wine's not going to do it." And then when the GM said the price, he was like, "Oh my god, this is because it's a five hundred dollar bottle of wine." He's like, "I'm going to sell the crap out of this wine. This wine is great. This wine's amazing." And you can't always you can't always go by that. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's. By the way, I'm getting a lot of maraschino cherry off of the period. <laughs> So, is it like maraschino cherry, like by itself, still in the jar with the syrup? Maraschino cherry on top of your ice cream sundae? No. Is there, is there a little drop of drizzle over it's it? It's floating. Rainbow sprinkles. It's Rainbow floating sprinkles. in a Manhattan made with a, um, a wheat based bourbon. Um, just making that up. So, um, we should go have one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk Vyak for a second. Yeah, um, let's do it. So Vyak is a collaboration between um, Enrique Aposta, who is a winemaker in Catalonia, and Luis Yac, who is basically like the Catalan version of Laporte Company or Eddie Rabbit. He was a really famous singer in the 70s. Like, my mother would have loved him. I was listening to him earlier today, and, like, he's a really good singer. Yeah, but definitely, like, you know, uh, a singer of his time. And um, it was a collaboration between the two. It was starting in the 90s in Priorat. Um, so we were a blend of Grenache, Syrah, so carrying on or Carignania. So we're getting those rogue varietals yeah. then some Merlot Cabernet. So it's a really international-style wine. And then spent a little bit of time at home. Um, but, you know, from these high, steeply terraced vineyards, and it's interesting to go back and forth. I mean, obviously, there's Syrah, Merlot, and Cap here, so there's going to be a difference genetically between the two wines, but the fruit structure in this wine is, I think, much more um, upfront than the Santa Bosque, which had this like, really kind of beautiful, earthy thing to it. This, to me, is a Someone loves New World Cabernet, Napa, Sonoma, Pinto, 
and wants to get into the Spanish one, mm -hmm. this would be a great transitional wine for them because it has that fruit, it has that structure, but it also has the other things that can get into Spain. It's, yeah. uh, it's not masquerading as Napa or something that it's not, but it has enough of those notes where they could be pulled in and still you know, enjoy what they're getting. The reason why I'm looking at these back of the bottle right now never mix it into one of the little you know, promos that we do. Uh, oh, is the, I, I, I love looking at Spain and Italy and France in particular and the, 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 the alcohol levels because those guys just don't care. We were talking about before how you know that the, they, they lie or they hit, but these guys just don't care. The, and it's not that we were talking about with Samso and what is Samso. Because the again the the place is like Monsanto's more important than the blend, right? Like Priorat's more important than the blend per se on on, on this wine because it, it's it's the place, it's the old world. They care about the place. So the oh yeah, well oh, yeah, well this vintage, you know, yeah, there's actually five percent more of uh, Garnacha than the normal yeast, but but who cares? It still tastes like Monsanto. That's what they want. It's the same thing with alcohol, which and I believe you're allowed to be half a point mm -hmm. off technically. So both these wines are fifteen. <laughs> Uh, and again, like you don't see like fifteen point one, you don't see those on. <laughs> you, you don't see those. That, that's a, that's an American thing to be so exacting in the alcohol. You know, it's like oh, we'll get as close as we possibly can and just slap something on there. Um, and so like these could be fifteen five. It just it, it, it's it's whatever they want because they just don't. It's not about the alcohol level or the gra or the grape percentages. It's does this taste like Priorat? Does this taste like Monsanto? And they do, and beyond that, they're 15. These so alcohol is heat. It's heat on your palate. So if, if your mouth starts to warm up, you feel the heat in the back of your throat. It burns on the way down as you swallow. Um, even when you put your nose in the glass, if, you, if your uh, nostrils flare up a little bit from, from the wine, that that's alcohol acting uh, in an unbalanced wine or, or not as well. Mm -hmm. not, not always unbalanced, but not perfectly balanced wine. But I would not have guessed one bit that either of these were 15. They're not hot at all. Yeah. So I, well balanced. I, I, the only reason I knew the Rouge was because I can see it right here. It's like, it's like really in bold. But I don't see that with the Monsanto at all. With, with the Monsanto, like it's, um, there's a beautiful balance to the wines. And once again, I mean, like it, it goes back to this kind of old traditional sense of winemaking, but also understanding that they're. They're, I, I think they're modern palettes, and and you want to you want to make something that you just want to drink. Yeah. And those high octane wines that are 15, 16 percent, but they're balanced. They're hard to drink. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's the Pepsi challenge. Really, that's why it's so hot. The Pepsi challenge, depending on the age. I don't know what our age demographic is. You know. I think those. I demographic. Okay. So, uh, but really quick. So it was. Blindly tasted Pepsi versus Coke at a public setting in Bitcoin. And Pepsi had more sugar. It, it does, they don't hide this, it's just what it is. But you only got like an ounce or a half ounce of what it was. And in that small sample size, just human nature is to pick the sweeter thing because sweet is safe and feta is, um, is poison. It's just, you know, what's kind of yep. ingrained in us. But the, so Pepsi always won the Pepsi challenge. You gave those same people who picked Pepsi the lead a bottle of Pepsi. Versus a liter bottle of the bill. He said, okay, you have to drink this entire thing now. 
And a lot of them will go, okay, I can only get through half of the Pepsi. It's, it's too cloying. It's just it's, it's too much. And th those massive lines, it's not that they're sweet per se, but on the, you know, if you have half a glass or an ounce or two, yes, oh, this is so flavorful. There's so much going on. Well, if you have to do that over and over and over and over and over again, it just gets more, it's more difficult to do. Yep. Where, you know, the, the, the softer wine initially might not have as much, but it's probably going to develop and change and you're going to be able to get through it in a different way. So, again, it's it's not right or wrong. They both have their place. Pepsi and Coke still exist, right? They're still doing fairly well, despite, you know, the health trends going on in the world. They still <laughs> exist. And it's the same thing. It's with wine. That's why. That's why I have a soda stream at home when I put wine in it. And, uh, you know, when I put the cola, it doesn't work. I'm not going to go there. I don't work. Know. I, I've never actually tried. I, I, don't, I actually don't have one. Can I put my still peanut grigio in a soda stream? <laughs> yes, you can. Wine? You can what? technically. I don't know if it'll work. Um, don't tell me this. My wife is still here. <laughs> the, the amount of bubbly in my house already. Am I going to have a single glass of bubbly without wasting an entire bottle? Oh my god! It's not wasting. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that, like, you know, what I love about wines from, from Catalonia, like you said, like, that there's this beautiful bridge between, like, old and new that has its own identity, its own connection. Um, and they are wines that I think it's not just the climate, but I think it's also just the, the choice of varietals. They understand the grapes grow where. Um, that Grenache obviously does well here. Carrying on our Samsa does well here. But also, you know, we were tasting earlier some awesome high-end Napa cabs, like Heidi Barrett Napa cab, which I'm actually going to take home with me today, um, which is a wine that's going to retail for 150 bucks a bottle. And the, the climate in Napa is not the climate in Bordeaux. It's very different. The soils are different. Um, it's not just maritime in Bordeaux. It is Atlantic maritime, which is really inconsistent. And, you know, in Napa, they have the Maya Camus Mountain Range that creates a semi-rain shadow. So you get a lot of sunshine and you get this really nice, rich structure that produces some wines that are really expensive. Why can't we do that in places like Catalonia or Languedoc? Make wines based on Bordeaux varietals that have the same cloud prestige of Napa Valley without people saying those grapes don't belong in I think they show that I think Bayac with the blend of, of Merlot and, and Cab, it's only six percent Cab, but twenty one percent Merlot shows that you can do that. You know, you can produce some great wines from varietals that we typically think of as being more maritime. I guess it is a maritime climate or Mediterranean. By by a body of water, it's close enough. Um, but can we can I talk for a moment about where the name Prairie Rock comes from? Because I think it's important. Go. All right. So about. 500 years ago, there was a little shepherd boy. It's always a shepherd boy for some reason. Only 500, so we know it's not Jesus. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he was walking through these hills with his sheep, as a shepherd boy would do. Um, and he saw uh, what they call a skeleton, a stairway to God, stairway to heaven. I should have opened up with Led Zeppelin. Um, and but we would definitely get sued. He saw these angels ascending into heaven, and he went to the local priest 
that he was like, oh, I saw these. I am a shepherd boy, and I saw these angels ascending to the to the heavens. And the priest said, okay, well, we should build a church there. So they built a church there. There's a, a priory, uh, which is like a small little church. That's where Pirat comes from. And so Skaladi is one of the main villages in Pirat, the northern part of Pirat. Um, it's still there. There's actually a, a winery that, that makes some really good wines there, too. Um, and then there's Oreda, which is the village where this wine comes from. Um, and then I think it was two years ago, they don't get a lot of snow here. The weather can be kind of crazy. But they got so much snow in 2020, 2020, which I guess we can agree across the board was a crappy year, um, that the sellers caved in and they lost like an entire vintage of wine. Oh. Throughout the region with this producer we came into. It's, where you go, was it just one, two? Because they probably had multiple things aging in the- Oh yeah, in the yeah like, so, like this is their so, this is their entry points, which would be like a mid twenties bottle in a store. Um, but they had stuff like the, um, which is like a sixty dollar, the Edo's like the fifty dollar, and they have they have other tiers past that. They were all destroyed. Uh, this is another part about the old world that we plan to think of. In, in the new world, especially in America, we plan for every every possible eventuality to come to pass. Well, right? in California, so, it's like fires and earthquakes. You yeah, have to. Right? You just you plan for these things. And uh, you know, I, I spoke to a. As you can be. With with all the with all the irrigation you do, you know, does anyone ever question terroir? Because you're you're adding so much water to, to, to this vineyard that doesn't naturally exist here, and you're screwing with it. He's like, well, yeah, I am. But would you rather me lose half my vintage for not irrigating? And he's right. Um, but it's the same. But again, conceptually, it's the it's, it's the thought process is we're going to be who we are where we are um, versus planning for everything to, to make sure that it works because then, then we're not going to be our more, 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 more adapted to that. Yeah. This is why frost last, you know, last year in, in France was so bad. Places and that aren't prepared. Just in Burgundy. Even yeah. in the Languedoc. Like we're going to say, they, they don't plan for frost in the Languedoc. It's not a problem with theirs typically. And it happens. You know, like if the places, if the places that couldn't Places that normally prepare for, for frost have an issue with it. And then it goes to places that aren't prepared to deal with frost, it gets bad. <laughs> it gets yeah. bad. But that's the sacrifice they're willing to make for you know, for expressing the place that, that, that it comes from and what they do. It's also expensive to put in a lot of infrastructure. You know, yeah. We don't talk about it that way, but I you know I asked once about why doesn't Burgundy put up hail nets, you know? And they said hail nets um, screw the sunshine. They, they provide shade, so we don't want to do that. Uh, and then two, we're expensive enough. Do you want us to, uh, you know, pass on the cost of installing all these hail nets? To, uh, I mean, it would make sense that in places like Argentina, they do it because they get a lot of sun there. Yeah. So they can afford to lose a little sun, you know, to give the wines a little more zip, a little more probably acid, you know, and less extraction. Yeah. 
So, make one for your app. One sign. You know, it's uh, delicious. Yeah, yeah. The 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 um, Viap is always one of my favorite wines. I am completely smitten with the Sipovos. Uh, I think that is just this is this is a wine, by the way, that you could probably buy for around like eighteen bucks a bottle in a retail store. It's stupid. It's like the quality of wine that you get from here is just ridiculous. So if you if you're like me. And you have a, uh, you grew up in a in, in a very religious household. Monsant makes the tea and the and the tea and the bun, and this really like crazy cross thing, and it, it, it gives me things, you know. But if you're not like me and you don't have that anxiety, you'd be totally cool. <laughs> but if you pick it up and you turn the bottle around and you have that mom was too Catholic in your mind and you know it triggers you, that's what it does for me. So I have to have it this way. <laughs> yeah, that very big of me to have the back of the bottle facing me the entire podcast because it's. Uh, I could, I could, I could tell at certain points you started, sort of like vibrating more. It's, you know, it was like a scene out of The Exorcist. You know, it's, there's a there was a nip in my uh, in my center console because I ever have to walk into a house of worship. So <laughs> you need that prep, and now you all know too much. There you go. <laughs> well, um, so on that note. I'm going to lead us out with a little bit of Strange Brew from Eric Clapton and Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce, and more importantly, Cream. Which, by the way, I just have to quickly say, my favorite Cream song is a song called Badge. And uh, it's uh, it was written, actually, by George Harrison. And the reason why they call it Badge was, it, says, it doesn't say Badge anywhere in the song, but there's a certain point where it changes and it goes to the chorus or the bridge. And, it, and the way they wrote bridge, it looked like the R looked like an A. And Ringo Starr had me walking by, and he looked over at the sheet, and he goes, Badge. And that's why they named the song Badge. That's fantastic. So, um, I would put Led Zeppelin on Stairway to Heaven because it would just seem appropriate, but um, I think also we would get sued. We might get sued for Green, but definitely Led Zeppelin which I made the mistake of doing on a Facebook Live once, a whole lot of love, and they shut our, our, our oh, YouTube wow. site down for an afternoon. Of all the things. Of all the things. Of all the things should be pre-rot and grenache. Yeah. Would, would you say that my music taste is, uh, is the cookie cutter and that your music taste is the, uh, <laughs> is the terroir version of... Uh, no, music? I would say no because at one point people thought the Beatles were cookie cutter, and Harry Styles had this great. He's releasing an uh, album coming out soon. I'm excited about. Um, and someone had asked, made a comment about like pop rock or like kind of early pop rock, you know, because there's not a lot of guys that listen. There are more guys that listen to Lindsay Lohan than would admit, but not a lot, right? But you know, he was. You know, he had said, someone made a comment about their music in One Direction being like kind of teeny bopper music. He's like, wasn't Elvis teeny bopper? Weren't the Beatles teeny bopper? Was, wasn't Cream teeny bopper? Like, Jimi Hendrix was at one point teeny bopper. But now they are, they become the mainstream. So, no. no there's, there's nothing wrong with, with Lindsay Lohan. So, we're going to open with K pop next time, guys. On that note. It's smooth like butter. Just like these wines. Yes.